January 2nd, 2020. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Hey, Chet, I'll say it again. The Eagles live to play another day for the fourth week in a row. Now everybody is 0-0 and in the playoffs. The Sixers have stunk it up since their big win Christmas Day. And the Flyers are 1-2 and two so far in their six-game Western road trip. The 10 wins in a row we talked about for Philly teams is long gone. Yeah, other than the huge Eagles win Sunday, Bill, it was pretty much a forgettable final few days of 2019. Uh, Bill, hang on. Before we go any further, we have a special guest dropping in. I think you'll recognize her voice, and this is the perfect time to have this broadcast legend join us. Now we just need to remember to start writing 2020 instead of 2019 on everything. That's right. And, you know, Chet, we've got a lot to talk about tonight with our two special end-of-year or first-of-year annual guests, Frank Fitzpatrick, to talk all things Philly sports, and Ashley Greenblatt, to tell us again about what we can do to get in some sort of shape to start the new year. Yeah, and you know, we actually had the very same two guests exactly one year ago, January 2nd of 2019. That was a Wednesday. And that's just such a fun way to start the year. So we decided to have them both back on to kick off another new year, and in fact, a new decade. And we seem to have just suddenly lost Bill. So I will say, hey, let's welcome Frank Fitzpatrick back to Philly Press Box Radio. Frank, are you there? I'm here. There you go. Bill I'm disappeared. Here. Well, I'm glad you're here, Frank. <laughs> I am too. So, Happy New Year and My age, uh, welcome yeah, back. You never know. Yeah. For our newer listeners, we talk with you, Frank, pretty much every year, right as we flip the calendar page to a new year to reflect on, you know, the state of the Philly sports scene, what's happened over the past year, maybe even the past decade in this case, and what we might expect going forward. So, Frank, let's start off with some hoops talk. A lot of folks viewed this season's 76ers as legitimate title contenders, but they've struggled mightily lately. Three straight losses. There are concerns about turnovers, frequent shooting woes, losses to inferior teams. What's your take on these 2019-20 76ers, Frank? Well, you know, all those things you said are, are correct, but it seems to me one of the more glaring things, one of the more glaring differences between this team and the team that we saw at the end of last year was their lack of consistency beyond the three-point range, you know. I mean, I think they really miss J.J. Reddick, probably miss him a little more than uh, than they envisioned. Um, and by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if they made a run at him when, come, uh, when the trade deadline gets uh, gets cranked up. They, they're going to need help 
you know, in, in their long distance shooting. Uh, but you know, all those other things you say, I don't think uh, Simmons and Embiid have meshed, uh, you know, as perfectly as I think everyone imagined they would. Um, I think there are defensive lapses that uh, this is a team that sort of, you know, without that outside shooting sort of relies on its defense to create its offense. And, uh, and you know, there are stretches of games where, where that defense just doesn't seem to be as intense as it needs to be. So, you know, at the midway point of this season, or not, not quite at the midway point, but I think there are, there are serious questions. Uh, and you have to wonder if, the, if as in uh, some of the more recent years, they're going to get them fixed in the, uh, in the second, second half of the season. Yeah, we can only hope. Let me, let me see if we have Bill. Bill, are you there now? I am. I lost there my internet go. connection right at go time. Well, you got to pay your bill. You know that, right? Uh, not the bill. Hello, Frank. Happy New Year. <laughs> hey, Bill. How are you? Oh, I've been better, but I'm good. Uh, we were just talking Sixers, but I'm going to switch it up and talk a little Phillies now. Frank, the Phillies have had an up-and-down decade. I mean, it started with a couple more great seasons from Howard Rollins, Utley Hamels and company, the four aces then leading them to 102 wins in 2011. But then, of course, there was the Howard injury at year's end in 2011, and the big guns finally starting to show their age and eventually get sent packing. Charlie Manuel, too. We'll skip over the Ryan Sandberg years, and then there was Pete McCannon, and then, of course, came Gabe Kapler. And, Frank, I'm guessing that Gabe won't be remembered all that fondly 10 or 20 years from now. No, and who could possibly be surprised by that? I mean, was there anyone in Philadelphia that, that, that thought that this was a good fit for this city, that a guy that burns candles in his manager's office uh, you know, and, and has I was incense? Is, I mean, I, I had no, no uh, illusions. Uh, yeah. He, he just seemed like a terrible right from the beginning, and he might he might be a great guy. Maybe he'll go on to manage, you know, manage himself into the Hall of Fame someday. I don't know. I don't see it, but but he certainly it wasn't going to do that in Philadelphia. Hey Frank, I wanted to throw at you what I think is kind of a little bit of a, a hidden treasure here in the uh, in the decade, and that's the job done by Jay Wright in the Villanova Wildcats. Two national championships, five years of less and five losses and only one losing season in the decade. Quite impressive, and uh, you can't say enough about the job Jay Wright did. I agree. You know, when when uh, I knew I was going to be on with you guys, I, I was thinking a lot about the, the last decade, and, and the two things, there were two things that really jumped out at me, and none of them really involving our professional teams, although there certainly were a lot of interesting developments there. But one was... Uh, was as you mentioned, Jay Wright. I mean, he has done a. I can't think of another coach in our area that's done as remarkable a job I mean, so quickly. I mean, it doesn't seem quickly because he's been there a while, but to turn a what had been a you know a nice regional program into a, a consistent national powerhouse, one that's you know not too far below the Kentuckys and Dukes and uh, of the world. It's just it's just astounding. I mean, and you know, if you want evidence of it beyond the basketball court, just go right past Villanova's campus someday, and you'll see how it physically has changed, and in no small part because of Wright's success and because of the success of the basketball team has has uh, attracted so many wealthy donors. Uh, uh, you know, people that might not have gotten involved to the extent they did uh, financially, if not for the success that Wright's team has. And he's just such a, a wonderful ambassador for the city and for the college and for the sport, in fact. 
Uh, I just, you know, I just can't say enough good things about Jay Wright. And for it's, for a school like Villanova to win two national championships in three years, you know, after you know the, a respectable Big Five system had produced two national championships in what almost seventy years, it's uh, uh, you know, it's it's just really a great thing. The other thing I, I, that I really jumped to mind was. Was 2011, which isn't wasn't too far into the decade, is when the whole Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky thing happened. Oh yeah, Penn State, and I mean, and that was a real earthquake, maybe the biggest one of the entire decade. And there were a lot of people, and you know, me included, who thought that this was the end of uh, Penn State football success, certainly on a consistent basis. And you know, Bill Bill O'Brien came in and his. You know, he did a reasonably good job, and then Franklin was hired. But they're not, you know, they may not be back to exactly where they were when Paterno left, but they're in a very good position. You know, they're they're recruiting, I think, better than anyone imagined they could have after the Sandusky affair. I mean, who, who thought that anyone was going to let their kids go to Penn State after all that went down? Um, yep. Yet, yet Franklin has, has has done a great job, and the, 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 the team on the field has done a great job. Even though sometimes it doesn't look like they've got the talent to match up with with the Alabamas of the world, uh, they're certainly they're certainly able to compete in the Big Ten, and that's and I think that's all you can ask for. So we have Penn State. We had Villanova winning the two NCAA titles. Of course, the Eagles Super Bowl finally happening. And yes. the other thing I thought of from the past decade was the whole 76ers process and. I admit, I was kind of a fan of the process. Bill was not. Uh, Frank, where did you stand on it? And I know it's not looking great right now. So where did you stand on the process? Yeah, I, I mean, I, just the whole, you know, I'm old enough to, that the whole notion of tanking just, just stuck in my yeah. craw. Uh, you know, I, I, I realized that there was a method to it, but I, I just I just could never get my head around it. And, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, it looked at the end of last year like the, the process had worked and the process was going to be a success. I guess the jury's still out on that now. Yeah, we'll have to wait until the end of this season, I think, to make a, a more uh, astute judgment. But it's funny. I, I was looking back through some of the papers from uh, early on in the decade. Matter of fact, this was January 2nd of 2010, which would have been just two days in. And I was looking at the Sixers lineup, and it's really amazing. I mean, they – their starting five in a game against the Clippers was uh, included Allen Iverson, uh, Andre Iguodala, Samuel D'Alembert, Lou Williams. So you, couple, you know, guys that are still contributing in the league. A guy like Lou Williams, certainly. Uh, Elton Brand, their general manager, was was their sixth man. It drew Holiday. Uh, it wasn't a bad team when you looked at it, but uh, it wasn't long until that, uh, you know, the, it, it disintegrated and... Um, we got the process, and you know, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but uh, I'm still a, I'm still a guy from Missouri when it comes to the process. I want to, you got to show me. <laughs> I'm with you. Hey, I want to get back to the Phillies for just a second, Frank. Of course, uh, one of last year's big highlights came from their big free agent signing Bryce Harper, and he on August 15th crushed this walk-off grand slam to complete a sweep of the cup. Two and two, with the bases loaded, and one out. Oh, my God! Deep to right field! Way up there, and way out of here! Second down, walk-off home run! Grand slam, bro! 
Tom McCarthy, that of course, great. Paul. And, yeah, that win lifted the Phils at that time to within a game of the final wild card spot. But, of course, we know how the next six weeks went. Still, how did you like the excitement that Bryce Harper brought to the franchise? And with Joe Girardi now here, are the Phils heading in the right direction? Yeah, I think so. I, I love I loved the whole Bryce Harper acquisition. You know, people talk about $330 million, but in this day and age, you know, I think he's certainly worth it. Um he, he, you know, I love, um, I, I just love his the way he plays. I love his intensity. I didn't always like him when he played for Washington. He seemed a little arrogant, but arrogance in your hometown is is confidence, you know. Um, I, 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 I love listening to that clip, by the way, that you guys just played. It was nice hearing the laconic John Cruck get so excited. <laughs> I mean, he almost jumped yeah. out of his chair there, and he and he he works hard to to uh, to keep that. Low key attitude, so I enjoyed that. But yeah, I think, and I like the Wheeler signing. I, I loved the Girardi uh, hiring. Uh, I think they still need a piece or two, certainly in their rotation. Uh, but I like I like what they've done with their infield. Um, yeah, I like that sh- Gregorius, and I be interesting to see what they do with Segura. Is he going to play third or second, or is Kingery going to be a, a starter? There's there's a lot of questions, but a lot of interesting questions. Uh, you know, as I said, they still need a piece or two, I think, to contend with uh, Atlanta. And who knows how um, Washington is going to react to the loss of Rendon. They, they still got an awful lot of talent in that organization. I mean, having Juan Soto in the middle of your order is going to, is going to cover up a lot of uh, deficiencies. But, uh, you know, at this time of year, I'm always excited about the Phillies, and there's no reason not to be at least as excited as we were last year. Yep. Hey, Frank, if you were sitting here in 2010, we'd certainly be talking about Andy Reid and the Eagles. And, uh, yeah. you know, they seem to be trending in the right direction. That went the wrong direction. Chip Kelly comes in. It went further in the wrong direction. And who would have thought we'd be sitting here having a Super Bowl already and being in the playoffs for the third straight time under Doug Peterson? That's a big turnaround. That really is. I mean, you know, we were talking about how um, Gabe Kapler seemed like a bad fit. I I just did not like the hiring of Doug Peterson. It just seemed like, all right, well, who's next in line? Who do we pick? Well, Peterson was a quarterback. He played under Reed. He was a Reed assistant. Let's bring him in here. He seemed like, you know, from afar, he seemed like a guy that didn't have much personality, that wasn't uh, the excitable type, wasn't the kind of Larry Boa type that Philadelphia fans tend to like and rally around. Uh, But, my goodness, he has a – hold on that clubhouse and those guys just seem to really respect and like him and what a job he's done i mean mike he's won a super bowl after after all you know what almost 60 years of different coaches coming in and you know some very good coaches like dick vermeil and uh you know having having not having the kind of success that uh that peterson has had so he if i was right about kapler i was completely wrong about uh about Doug Peterson. Yeah, Bill earlier this week was touting Peterson for Coach of the Year, given what he's done with this team, with all the injuries they've had, you know, calling in guys off the street, and here they are in the playoffs, nine and yeah. seven, which, considering all the injuries, is not that bad. So, yeah, I could, I could certainly consider him as Coach of the Year. He's done a great job. Yeah. And then there's Carson Wentz, who some people wanted to, you know, run out of town a month ago, and he's been terrific the last four weeks. What is your take long-term on Carson Wentz? Is he the franchise quarterback that we thought he was? I think he is. I mean, 
if, if, if you know, we can go on, on if the last four weeks are any kind of, uh, you know, sound test because, you know, first of all, they, they played four teams. I mean, you could say we won about the Cowboys, but that wasn't a real – those four teams weren't terribly tough competition. But he, but regardless of that, with the with the pieces that was missing that were missing, I think you can't help but look at, at Wentz's performance and just say, man, this is a kid that's really, really blossomed into the talent that we all believed he would be, given his first what twelve, thirteen games in two thousand seventeen uh, before he got hurt. He seems to, you know, not only be a leader on the field, but he seems to have that respect in the in the locker room as well. And I think. I think any franchise would be content to have a guy like that for the next 10 years if he can stay healthy. And I, and I think that has a lot to do with how well he's played lately. I think he's finally feeling confident and healthy. You know, he's getting out of the pocket a little more. And um, I'm, I'd be, if I were the Eagles, I'd be optimistic about this guy being my being my uh, quarterback for the future. Hey, Frank, you've been around the pulse of this city for a long, long time. What what is it that makes Eagles fans tick in regards of, you know, wanting to run Wentz out of town, wanting to run the Mike Schmitz out of town, and, uh, you know, those kind of players all along, uh, the Eric Lindrosses. Um, what what makes Philly fans tick, do you think, that they just can't seem to be satisfied with the greatness? You know what it is? I, I've thought about this for years, Bill, and it, it is just a level of impatience here that I don't, that you don't see elsewhere, you know. You, it's just so hard for them to be to find a contentment, you know. It, I guarantee you, if if Wentz gets off to a rocky start on on Sunday, the same people who you know were ripping him five weeks ago and now have come back into his corner will be ripping him again. I mean, it's just there's just not a lot of um, deep you know thought that goes into our assessments of teams and talent. It just seems like it's, all right, what what have you shown me in the last three minutes? Uh, and that's what I'm going to judge you by. I, uh, you know, as a native Philadelphian and a guy that's worked in sports here a long, long time, it's always something that's irritated me about my hometown. And I'm probably the same way when I'm watching a game, you know. <laughs> it, it reminds me, you guys are too young to remember this, but it goes all the way back to, you know, when Norm Sneed was struggling, and then they fans would yell for Jack Concannon and and then when Jaworski and Randall Cunningham. I mean, it's always been that way with the Eagles. And I guess it is in a lot of cities, but it never seems as intense or as, or as quick to happen as it does here. Yeah, people always love the backup quarterback. All right, so Sunday, the big do. game, Seahawks and Eagles, 4.40 p.m. Later in the show, Bill and I will make our predictions, but what does Frank Fitzpatrick say about Sunday? You know, I was just talking to our our beat writers down at the Novicare today, and I think three of the four guys I talked to picked Eagles. Um, you know, uh, and and in talking to them, and, and they 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 their feeling was that Seattle hasn't played real well lately. They've lost what three out of four. They're they're banged up. They've got no running game, um, and it's all going to depend on whether they can um, they can contain. Wilson, if they can contain his his ability to scramble and his ability to make the big throw accurately, as he did at least once in the in the first meeting, and I and I tend to agree with him. I think otherwise these two teams are fairly evenly matched. Uh, 
it, you know, it's hard for me to say that when you look at who the Eagles are going to be running out there on Sunday compared to who played in the first game, but you can't argue with, with success and these and these guys on the practice squad. I don't remember a more remarkable story, I think, in the last decades, maybe even you know far beyond that as as these Eagles. I mean, just just to, to overcome that kind of adversity. And, we're, you know, we're not talking about off-the-field adversity or an injury or two here. These are major, massive hits to a to a team and its cohesiveness. And and thanks to Peterson and Wentz and, and the rest of the guys on that team, Fletcher Cox, they've they've been, they've incorporated all these inexperienced players and they've not missed a beat. And it's I, I can't think of another example of that in recent Philadelphia sports history. Well, Frank, I have one last question for you, and you answered it a little bit with the Joe Paterno uh, comment, but I was going to ask you, uh, as you sit back and look at the entire decade, if you had to pick one moment, uh, what would be the one moment that sticks out the most in your mind besides that Joe Paterno story? I was going to, you know, I was going to say the Joe Paterno thing because I remember I was playing golf down on the Outer Banks, and I came, had my phone turned off, and I got back to my phone, and they were like, 87 messages on there from the office and people wanting to talk because I had just done a book about, about Paterno and oh my god that was a that was a hectic week. Other than that, I think the two Villanova championships, the first Villanova championship, uh, certainly because I, I didn't see that one coming. I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm just not a good college basketball judge, but I certainly didn't see that one coming. And you know what I think? Uh, uh, another, I wouldn't necessarily call it a highlight, but a moment that sticks in my head from the decade is that moment when, and I think you mentioned it, Jim, when when Brian Howard was running down the first base and he popped out Achilles tendon yeah. in 2012. It was like that was just this perfect metaphor for the end of a, of a Phillies era and the, and the start of a long trip downhill. And do you remember in like 2013, 14, how terrible things were around here? That there was no hope oh, yeah. for any of the teams, basically. And it was we've we've come a long way in the last five or six years. Yeah, it's definitely a lot better now. And Bill, I yep. should uh, mention that when Frank and I exchanged messages yesterday, I told him we were going to reflect on the past decade, and Frank suggested that we cover the whole last half century or a century. So, Frank, <laughs> no offense. Yeah, when you're ready to talk, have... Connie Mack, I'm I'm your guy. Yeah. You have been around for a while, so go ahead. Feel free That's to reflect true. on Chuck Bednarik, Wilt, or Puddinhead Jones. All right. <laughs> and Putsy Caballero, as I said last night. Yeah. I yeah, wanted to hear you say Putsy. Do you actually remember Putsy? Because I know you're, you know, a little older than us. No, I, I just remember Rich Ashburn talking about him. I, I, I you know, okay. I was around in 1950. I mean, I was an infant, but I, I was yeah. here, but I don't remember him. Okay, gotcha. All right, well, Frank, I think we've used up all of our time, and uh, we we certainly appreciate you coming with us the first of every year, it seems, and uh, it's always good to look back on the previous year, and in this case, the previous decade. Good. Well, I hope I'm around next year to do it again. Absolutely. I hope so. And enjoy, <laughs> enjoy those family. Uh, the pictures you post are great of uh, getting to spend a little time with the grandchildren. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. All right. Thank you very Happy New Year. It is a brand new year, and I mentioned the other day on Facebook that I ventured out to enjoy live music approximately 30 nights last year, 
And now that it's a new year, my first outing of 2020 will be this Saturday night when I'll be at the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. I'll be there to see the band Big Whiskey. If you're a fan of Southern Rock, go check them out this Saturday night, the 4th. In addition to weekend bands, the Irish Rover has a fantastic menu from wings and sandwiches to great entrees like grilled salmon, baby back ribs, and filet mignon. And of course, there's always 24 beers on tap. Lunch, dinner, and happy hour specials too. Look for me there this Saturday night. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good. It is good, Chet, but the Sixers have not been good. They lost three in a row. They fall into third in the Atlantic Division, sixth place in the Eastern Conference. I know the inconsistency this team displays doesn't concern you quite so much at this point, but uh, to me, it's starting to be a problem. Yeah, well, let me clarify my comments from the other day on Facebook. I am concerned. I mean, nobody likes seeing bad losses, the excessive turnovers, an inability to close out close games consistently. Nobody likes that kind of stuff ever. But Philly sports fans, and Frank mentioned this, tend to make rash judgments based on a couple of games. So my point is, let's give this a bit more time. Now, if it ends with Joel Embiid again not in good health for the playoffs, Ben Simmons still not willing to take outside shots more than once every dozen games. Uncertainty at the end of games. Then it may truly be panic time and maybe time to look at the head coach. Well, yeah. I mean, the coach always takes the blame. But, boy, I'm just not – I guess the the rumblings of the lack of accountability that are starting to come from the locker room certainly are concerning. Uh, You know, eight games out. Uh, right now, they're not going to catch the Bucks. Even if they catch on fire, they're not going to catch the Bucks. Being already eight games out, they yep. can move up certainly some spots, but uh, they're they're digging themselves a bit of a hole. Yeah, they sure are. And uh, the the rumblings out of the locker room the last few days are a bit of a concern. And I'm wondering if some of them might be directed at Ben Simmons, you know, the accountability, because we heard a few weeks ago the coach saying he wants to see him take a three-pointer every game. Well, he hasn't taken one since. He's taken just a few, like 10 or 12-foot shots. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if the coach says, look, you're going to take a couple of jumpers or you're going to sit. I don't know how that would go over. There may be, you know, a whole lot of trouble if Brett tried that. But he's got to do something to make him try because it's just frustrating frustrating to watch Simmons not shoot from the outside. And I keep waiting and waiting and waiting. We still don't see it. So that's something to keep an eye on. And the other thing is Al Horford. Horford looked very good at the beginning of the season, but the last couple of weeks Horford is starting to show his age, and he's still not fitting in with this team, especially when he and Joel Embiid are on the court at the same time. And they've got to figure that out. Brett had said it might take till Christmas. Well, guess what? It's after New Year's now, and it doesn't look like they've figured it out yet. So they've got to get working on that. Yeah, and I actually saw a thing uh, yesterday, and I don't remember all the details of it, but it actually had Horford in a package uh, as a possible trade candidate. I don't know if that was more rumor or hope or, or what, but, you know, when we signed him just a few months ago, that sure wasn't the plan. No, not at all. And uh, like I said, he looked good at the beginning of the year, but he does look a little old and tired right now. 
He's not rebounding like we thought he would. He's not hitting the outside shots as consistently as we thought he would for a big guy who can shoot. So that's something to keep an eye on. But the good news, Bill, they called up Zaire Smith today, so maybe he's the answer. Well, actually, he was the other guy in the trade. Uh, Smith <laughs> oh, okay. and Horford were the, were the two names. Uh, oh, you know, Chad, I, I wonder because I don't think we really know. We, we, we've heard Embiid say that, you know, he wants to play every night. Uh, that this isn't his decision. I'm not sure we know whose decision it is for this load management. But I got to think these other guys that are going to work every night, they're probably not uh, feeling the accountability to a guy that gets to sit once a week. Yeah, probably not. But I, I don't know who wants to sit. I mean, like you said, Embiid says he wants to play. He was out the other day with the knee soreness. So I don't know if that was his call or, you know, the team examining him and saying, yeah, you do look sore, sit out. I don't know. But, yeah, we should have asked uh, Frank about what he thinks about load management. I'm, I'm guessing he wouldn't be a fan either. No, no. And, and you know, and I guess the flip side of that, if it's not Embiid, then maybe he got players that have management issues. You know, is it, is it uh, the coach? Is it the general manager? Who's making this decision? Um, that, that could possibly be causing some friction. Yeah, I don't know. And, uh, you know, Josh Richardson said some things to Keith Pompey the other day, and then uh, Embiid talked to Pompey. And, uh, boy, this is something to keep an eye on because I don't want to see a, a fractured locker room. But uh, hopefully they'll get this resolved soon because they got a tough bunch of games coming up. Yeah, well, and the good news is, as I said, they're eight games out in the sixth slot right now. The Magic are in the eighth slot. They're 15 games out. So it's not like they're probably falling out of the playoffs. Oh, no, uh, no, no. That, That's not going to happen. But they're going to end up probably right here in the middle of the pack, and I think they're better than that. I still think they'll be in the top half. I still think they'll be third or fourth seed. And, uh, I mean, they better be. or That's a real disappointment. Yeah, they better turn it up. Well, hey, Chet, did you know that 56% of Americans have no idea how much money they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave Lavoie from Allstate in Westchester, PA. Yep, the same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal and then show you the right financial solutions to help get you there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoie in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700, and start planning for your retirement today. Again, that number, 610-430-0700. Boy, Chet, we say this every year. Uh, that we're going to do something about it, but I, for one, don't do a very good job of getting myself in shape every year. It just sounds like idle talk. (laughs) Hey, we could all do better with that stuff, but I think you and I are doing okay given our age. And let's face it, speaking of age, it does not get easier as we get older, Bill. The body just doesn't cooperate, doesn't bounce back as quickly or as well as it used to do. You know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely, and uh, as you know, I'm dealing with a bum ankle that I busted yep. up uh, on Christmas Eve, and I tell you what, here we are, what, I don't know, two two weeks later, whatever it is, and I can't hardly move this thing, and it's all, it's in a boot, it's all messed up, and uh, you know, it used to be, you tape it up and go. Yeah, and thanks for sending the pictures, that was uh, really nice to look at, yuck, well, I, <laughs> I do feel for you. Like that. <laughs> I thought you would like that. Oh, that looks so odd. 
I winced just looking at it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you had a chance to talk to our resident expert, Ashley Greenblatt, about what we can do to jumpstart our exercise and dieting program for the new year. Ash always has great stuff to share, and uh, I'm kind of interested to hear what she had to say. Yeah, I did talk to her, Bill, and we talked about all of that and more, including some exciting personal news for Ashley and her husband. And here is our chat. This has become something of an annual tradition here on Philly Press Box Radio, kicking off the new year with a visit from Philly Inquirer fitness columnist and personal trainer Ashley Greenblatt. It's actually her fifth visit overall, so welcome back, Ash. Thank you for having me. It's been five already. I'm starting yep. to feel old now. You're part of the Five Timers Club, so welcome. I like it. <laughs> All right, we've talked about this the last couple of years as we turn the calendar page to a new year. That resolution to lose weight or get in shape. Crowded gyms in January, much less so in February and March. Just like with so many people vowing to make those fitness-related changes at the start of the year, Ash, what is the key to succeeding at it? You know, we just did an article on this because it's almost annoying to see it, right? When it comes around, you're like, oh, no, it's the resolution list again. I have to start it up. So instead of giving yourself a boatload of goals, I'm a big fan of the bite-sized piece one. So it's like find one thing that you want to do in January. Tackle that. Move on to February, but kind of keep those goals still going throughout the year as you move. But, you know, sometimes we have these big lofty goals and they're just too ambitious. And to be honest, a lot of us are feeling a little lazy coming off the holidays and everything. So make it manageable. That would be my tip. You're looking at lazy right here. Uh, of, oh, course, <laughs> of course, it is winter. It's cold outside, so most people won't want to do a whole lot of walking or running out in the chilly weather. Now, for people who don't want to commit to a gym membership, you just wrote a great piece on Inquirer.com giving instructions on a no-gym workout. What sort of things do you recommend? Yeah, so I've been recommending that a lot more lately because I find that time constrictions seem to be the big reason people miss out on workouts. So if you can eliminate that commute and then waiting for machines to open up and costly Gym memberships, especially after the holiday rush and, you know, financial obligations, you could just do it from the comfort of your home. It's very simple. You just need a small space, a piece of workout equipment that's inexpensive, like let's say a resistance band, even paper plates or a towel you could use as a glider to kind of add the resistance. And you really only need 20 minutes. I don't believe in these really crazy workouts where you have to go for hours and hours. 20 minutes, high intensity, move on with your day. That's all you need. I love it. Now, I should mention that shortly after we talked last May, my radio partner Bill and I both committed to making some fitness changes for the summer, and I think both of us were fairly successful. My goal was to my goal was to lose 15 pounds by Labor Day, and through some light exercising and eating smaller portions, I lost 12 pounds by Labor Day and finally lost the final three by November. Then the holiday season rolled around, and I've gained four pounds back. Not too bad. I'm sure I'm not alone there. So beyond making and sticking to New Year's resolutions, what can you recommend to folks who want to tone up over the next couple of months? Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations, because that's no small feat. That's really impressive. Um, And I think over the holidays, that's to be expected. I think you didn't enjoy your holiday season Hmm. if you don't have a little bit of cushion around the middle there. Um, (laughs) But I would say the key also is just the same thing as, you know, people with resolutions. Have something in mind each day that you want to do that you enjoy. I think if you find physical activities that you like and eat the foods you enjoy within portion control sizes, because that's where we usually get in trouble, right, these family-style meals that people go out for, then I think it's a little bit more 
manageable to, to hit those goals and, and do it month by month. You know, no final finish line. You're going to have ups and downs. There's ebbs and flows. One day you might hop on the scale and you're your goal weight. The next day you might have a couple extra pounds. It's just a lifestyle. you got to just keep up with it. And then I think once you see your body changing and that you feel good and you have more energy, it kind of gives you the momentum you need to keep going forward through the year. You did a piece a few weeks ago about knees, the fact that a lot of folks have knee pain, and sometimes we can actually harm our knees while exercising. So what should we be doing or not doing to take care of our knees? You know, it's a great point because I finally get a lot of emails where people will say, you know, that's a good exercise routine, but I can't get on my hands and knees because my knees are shot. Or my whole life my knees felt fine and all of a sudden they're gone and I don't really know what to do. So first thing would be listening to your body. We tend to kind of think that no pain, no gain philosophy, which isn't a good one. I think if you're feeling discomfort, that's your body's red flag is saying, hey, this isn't really working for us anymore. So I would start with listening to your body. And, and second, do assisted exercises. You don't have to get out there with, you know, a massive weight machine doing squats and things that you think you're supposed to do. Things as easy as sitting and standing, going up and down and getting, you know, the proper form pushing through your heels rather than your toes, which so many of us do when we get up and get down. Little tweaks in our everyday movement makes such a big difference. Most of us move through our day quite carelessly, and we hurt our knees as a result. And then when we go and do these strenuous exercises, we really start to say, oh, my goodness, I must have hurt it doing this or that. So that would be my recommendation for knees. Take it easy on them because once they go, my goodness, do you miss having a healthy set of knees. Yeah, you talk about doing things like clamshells and lunges and squats. But if you do squats and lunges, it's important to do them properly, correct? Oh, yeah. So a lot of people are scared to do squats, and I totally get it, because if you've ever had that pang of pain in your knees, that's like, oh, my gosh, I will never do that again. So the key really is starting with your own body weight, start from a seat. Notice that a lot of times when we go to stand up, we push from our upper body using our hands to get up for momentum. You just want to push through your heels. You'd be amazed if you even did it right now if you're listening. Go from a sitting to a standing position, pushing through your heels how much different that feels than through the front part of your foot. Well, Ash, yeah. uh, when you and I first talked a little more than two years ago, you were a newlywed, and you may not be yeah. considered newlyweds any longer, but you and Jed <laughs> will be uh, delivering some big news in the new year. What's the scoop? Oh, yeah, so I am five months pregnant now. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, it was cute because we had um, a great article that went up, but I'm starting to show, so I'm like, oh, man, how much black can I wear to cover my stomach <laughs> for how much longer? <laughs> well, so very happy for you guys, which brings me to this question. And forgive me if it's a dumb question, but I've never been pregnant, in case you were wondering. I've never been pregnant. No? No. So <laughs> how much can you safely exercise while pregnant, and can you exercise deep into the pregnancy? So that's a great question. If you are someone that exercises regularly, I say keep up your routine. If you're someone that is new or a beginner to exercise, you're going to want to consult your physician before starting or trying anything new. Something interesting I'm noticing, they don't want you to be on your back around the second trimester. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have this large vein that runs behind your body, and it connects to your heart and brings you all that good oxygen-rich blood, and your uterus lays on it, and you get very dizzy. So you cannot do any back-based exercises. And if you do, you have to do them very gingerly. So that's been an interesting transition for sure because most of my exercises are done on the mat. Yeah, you got to respect the body. And I saw that you recently retweeted a New York Times piece that implied that exercising while pregnant can even have some positives for the baby. 
Yes, exactly. I mean, I think it's always good. We know exercise is good, right? Yep. Um, but it just brings all of the feel-good energy that's good, the endorphins, your hormone levels, promotes better circulation. And I think when you have a healthy pregnancy, beyond even, you kind of instill good, healthy habits for your baby and uh, as they grow up. I think it just makes a person a healthier human being. They just have the, the right framework, fitness framework, to move into a, a healthy kind of existence. Love it. Read Ashley Greenblatt's weekly fitness column in the Philadelphia Inquirer or on the web at inquirer.com. And Ash, don't forget the pact we made last year. Don't say Happy New Year to anyone after January 10th or the 15th at the absolute latest. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it's a year since we said that. I'll have to (laughs) remind my husband. It's March. We've moved on. It's the New Year already. All right. Ash, great talking to you once again. Congrats on the On The Way baby and have a fantastic New Year. Thank you. You too. Happy New Year, everyone. Hey, Jake, you know, every year when we have Ashley on, uh, you know, whether it's live or we get taped with her, um, she just puts out energy. You know, she's just always excited, always putting out good stuff. Yeah, she's really nice and a very positive person. And honest to God, when we talked last May, you and I did make that little pact, and I did lose 15 pounds by November, but I did gain four backs. And now hearing Ashley again, I got to, you know, start cutting back again and again, doing some exercises. But, yeah, she does get you energized, so that's good. I'll be in on that 15. i got to do at least 15. I'm in. I'm in. Got right. me in, Ashley. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, hey, Chet, we talked inconsistency with the Sixers. We're seeing the same with the Flyers. Both struggle on the road. New coach Elaine Vigneault is none too happy about it, I'm telling you. Yeah, no, he's not. I don't believe he mentioned anybody by name, but he did say that some guys seem to be playing like they're tired or lacking energy or whatever. Bottom line, they're just not the same team on the road as they are at home, Bill. 13-2-4 and four at home, 9-11-1 on the road after losing two of three on this trip. And they have three more games still on this trip, Vegas tonight and then Phoenix and Carolina. Yeah, well, you know, after the, the uh, Sharks game, the first game after the holiday when they went out there and just got – beat up 6-1 to one and gave up four goals in the first. Uh, they asked him after the game if there were any bright spots, and he said absolutely none. There were none. <laughs> There's nothing good to say about anybody. He was none too happy. He's no Gabe Kapler, in other words. Oh, no. Oh, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talked last week about the need to get six at the minimum. Eight would be great. Um, they've got three games left and they've got two points so far. So they've got to win at least two out of the next three, uh, three out of three be better, but they're at Vegas tonight and that's always a tough challenge. Yeah, it is. So, uh, don't get your hopes up, but the good news is they'll be home again in a week. Well, what do you make of that Carter Hart? Uh, his, his stats are absolutely lopsided on the road versus (laughs) at home. And, uh, uh, he, I mean, he's downright been ugly, had some bad games on the road. Yeah, and he's dominant at the Wells Fargo Center. So, I don't know. It's pretty much the same kind of ice. I mean, the same uh, type of <laughs> arena. Yeah, it's different fans, obviously. But still, he's just like a different guy. And that's something that the coach and the goaltending coach have to talk to him about and try to figure out why that's the case. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on Carter. He'll be okay, I think. Well, yeah, I think so, too. And the other interesting thing I'm finding is, in Hart's case, when he plays bad, they seem to be saying it's on Hart. Uh, the other night when Elliott was bad, or they scored a lot of goals anyway, uh, 
the Kings did in that 5-3 loss. It was the defense that was breaking down and not really Brian Elliott playing bad. Uh, so Car- uh, Carter Hart gets looked at one way, Brian Elliott gets looked at the other way. And I guess unless you're watching tape every night, it's kind of hard to tell what's really what. Yeah, and I haven't watched the last couple of games too closely, so I, I can't really comment. But uh, like I said, they'll be home in a week, and hopefully they'll get it all straightened out even before then. Well, and I, I think one thing that we, we need to buckle up for, Ted, I think there's going to be there's going to be some trades. There's going to be some movements. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, Jake Voracek was in a little bit of the doghouse early in the year. He's playing well now. Uh, playing much better, and so I don't know that he's the piece that moves. He's he's pretty expensive. Uh, Giroux certainly not moving, and he's playing well. Uh, but somebody's going to go. They're they're going to shake this thing up somehow, and there's going to be a big name moving somewhere. Might be that yeah. James Van Riemsdyk. Yeah, there'll definitely be a deal before uh, the February deadline. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk more Flyers. Hopefully, when we talk uh, next week, Chet will have three more games under our belt, and hopefully we get two or three of three wins out of that. You know it. All right. Well, hey, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118RazRoom. That's right. PPCC118RazRoom on Facebook. Oh, let's play some music, shall we? I think let's we shall. Let's play some music. Well, it is Fred and Butter time with our guru, Fred Hugo, back to talk playoffs since we don't have any fantasy football to talk about. Fred, welcome back. Playoffs? Playoffs? (laughs) (laughs) Quite an impression there, Fred. I like it. Quite an impression. Well, Fred, um, you know, who'd have thought we'd be talking about Eagles in the playoff mix, but here we are living to play another day, and uh, boy... It's good to see. I, I don't. I don't know that too many people were still hanging in there uh, after that Miami loss. But it's been a. It's been a pretty fun four weeks. It is fun to just stay, stay in and enjoy the ride. See what happens. You know. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. hey, uh, Chet, our regular season fun pool is over. What were the final standings? Uh, I know I had to make up a couple games last week. I don't think I did that. Well, you were probably watching. Uh, as you'll recall, guys, Fred went into Week 17 with a one-game lead over Bill, and you guys picked two of the five games differently. And, Bill, you correctly picked Tennessee to beat Houston to tie things up heading into the Sunday night Seahawks-Niners game. Fred took San Fran. Bill chose Seattle. The Seahawks, of course, came within about five inches of winning it on the final <laughs> play. But it didn't happen. Dumb delay of game penalty a few plays before that, by the way. So when the smoke cleared, you guys were both three and two for the week. I was four and one, but I was out of contention. So Fred is our winner this year with a record of forty-six and twenty-five, one game better than Bill, and six games ahead of yours truly. Congrats, Fred. Well, congrats, Fred. Finally, I lost this, I lost finally. This would have been like four years doing this. I finally win one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by inches. Yep. By inches. But, yep. but I, hey, sure, I was I was ten and two to one year and choked that up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the one year I was real hot in the beginning. 
But, and I know, choked this year. Is, I would rather lose and have Seattle come here than would have won and have San Francisco come in here. That's just my take. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got a fresh slate now with the playoffs. Uh, we're we're going to let Chet back in, Fred. Basically, that's what we're doing. We're going to go <laughs> zero and zero. So here we go. Saturday, we have the Bills at the Texans. The Texans are minus four and a half. The Titans are at the Patriots. The Patriots are minus four and a half. And Sunday, the Vikings at the Saints. The Saints are minus eight. And the Seahawks come to the link to face the Eagles. The Seahawks are minus two. Fred, let's get it out there. Bills at the Texans. Texas minus 4.5. What do you like? The Bills are very solid. I don't This is a tough one. J.J. Watt's back. I'm going to go Bills upset on the road here. I have just a gut feel that they're, they're coaching and they're going to have a, a game plan that's going to stop. Um, the Texans, and I just got a gut feeling about the Bills. That would not shock me, but I'm picking the home team. I'm going with Houston. I'm picking the home team. I'm going with Houston. Titans at the Patriots. Patriots minus four and a half, Fred. I'm going to go Patriots here. I think they're at home, and and they'll get the win. Call me crazy, but I'm going with Tennessee in this one. Mike Vrabel to – Go up to New England and upset his former coach and mentor, Bill Belichick. Tennessee with a big upset. Well, you know, Chet, I'm going to go with the Patriots, but I'm I'm not calling your pick a uh, a real upset. I think if Derrick Henry can run the football like they've been able to, they certainly have a chance to win that game. But I'm going to go with Brady here in the first round. Uh, but wouldn't be surprised if it goes your way. All right. Vikings at the Saints. Saints minus eight. These two teams keep matching up. Yeah, I think the Vikings have what it takes. If they can control the control the ball and then and control the clock a little bit. Um, but I think the Saints pull this one out. The the Saints win this. Well, you remember a few weeks ago I declared the Saints the best team in the NFC, and I still think they might come out of the NFC and make it to the Super Bowl. So I think ESPN predicted that also this morning that the Saints will go to the Super Bowl. So I am taking New Orleans here for sure. I'm taking the Saints, too, at home. I think they're too strong, and uh, they are really good, no no doubt. That's a lot of points, I think, in a playoff game, but I'm going Saints. Yeah. That gets us to the Seahawks coming to face the Birds. Seahawks minus two. What do you like, Red? This opened up with the Eagles favored, and it moved all the way, and I see this high as three now, and that's not good as far as if you were gambling. That would, that would, that would tell you the Seahawks are a lock, but um, – I ain't going that way. I think the Eagles can beat the Seahawks. They're at home. The crowd will be a factor. It was close last time. I think it's a different game this time. I'm going to take the Eagles by a field goal. Let's go 27-24. All right. Well, perhaps the Eagles will pull it off. I'll be rooting for them, of course. But the Seahawks have owned the Eagles in recent years. Carson Wentz is 0-3 against them. Hasn't played well against the Seahawks. Russell Wilson, 4-0 against the Eagles. And logically, the Eagles should not win this one. I'm going to try to help them by picking against the Eagles because it seems like I do give them a boost. So they're, they're probably listening to me right now. I am taking Seattle 24-20. to <laughs> Hey, Fred, the only thing we could have done is given Chet your tickets that you had for sale, and then that would be for sure an Eagles win. If yeah, we had him go to the game, too. <laughs> the, the Eagles are going to win this game. They're going to win it on defense. The, the Seahawks can't run the ball. I don't care if Marshawn Lynch is back or not. 
Uh, I think the Eagles are going to play solid defense. They're going to do what they've done in the last four weeks, just methodically move the ball. I'm going to go 23-17 Eagles in a close one, but uh, defense will make big plays. I love getting abused on Facebook for uh, having picked against the Eagles. So bring it on, Uh, everybody. We know you do. Well, (laughs) hey, we also picked the final four playoffs, Oklahoma versus LSU and Clemson, Ohio State. Chet, how do we do on those picks? And we've, we've got all the way until July 13th for that game, so we'll make our final picks next week. But how do we do in yeah. the semifinal games? January 13th, we knew what you meant. Yeah, Fred took the two underdogs, and Feels both like Oklahoma, and, <laughs> Oklahoma and Ohio State came up short, so he was 0-2. Bill, you and I had different picks for both games, but we each went 1-1. One and one. Okay. It's going to be an exciting game, I think. I'm looking forward to it. January 13th. Be yep, there. we'll talk more next week. Yep. All right. Well, hey, uh, Fred, before we let you go, let the listeners know how they can follow you. As always, you still have a lot going on, even without fantasy football. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Fred Hugo underscore on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, Fred Hugo on Facebook, and then everything I'm doing, I'm typically posting, so you can find everything from there. All right, Fred. Appreciate you coming by, and uh, go Birds. Thanks, guys. Go Birds. See you, Fred. All right. Well, hey, Chet, holidays are over, so we're back on our Wednesday schedule next week, January 8th at 7 p.m. And with that said, who do we have coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Well, we're going to talk lots of football, of course, hopefully about an Eagles win, even though I predicted otherwise. And to do that, we're going to have one of our favorites back. We haven't talked to him since, I think, the first week of September. The great Ray Dinger joins us live next Wednesday. Whoa, looking forward to that. Ray Ray has been uh, been flopping a little bit on the birds, uh, I guess, like a lot of other fans. So it'll be interesting to get his full take on how things are going. And I can tell you that on WIP this morning, Ray did pick the Eagles to win, I think, by a field goal. I think he said 23-17, actually. 23-17. I think I, I just remember. said 23-17, didn't I? Well, there you but go. You and Ray did you, you said 23-17, and so did he, I believe. So you both predict the exact same thing. I hope you're right. How about that? All right. Well, Mr. Chesko, parting shot here for 2019. Yeah, Bill, as we discussed, 2019 was a memorable year on the Philly sports scene. But over the past 12 months, we also said farewell to lots of sports figures whom we got to know over the years. Nationally, we lost legends like Frank Robinson, Bart Starr, Nick Buonacani, Gino Marchetti, Terrible Ted Lindsay, and John Havlicek, along with former NBA Commissioner David Stern, who just died on New Year's Day. There were also numerous big names from the Philadelphia area who left us in 2019. Among them, Philadelphia-born broadcasting great Jack Whitaker, former Phillies manager Frank Lucchese, award-winning Inquirer columnist Bill Lyon, plus... Daily News sports writer Bill Fleischman, and the Bulletin's Jack Chevalier, the man who gave the 1970s Flyers the nickname Broad Street Bullies. Boxer Willie the Worm Monroe left us last year, as did ex-NBA player Louis Lloyd and longtime Temple media relations man Al Schreier. And, of course, the one that really hit Philadelphia hard was the death last May of former Phillies president David Montgomery, who was considered by everybody who knew him to be one of the nicest, most sincere people in the entire world of sports. While David and everyone else I mentioned are no longer with us, we will always have the great memories that they provided for us over the last several decades. There you go, Bill. Well, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like that you do that every year, and I hate that you do it every year because it's, yeah. uh, 
you know, um, I guess it's all part of life, but it's, uh, it's sad to see these people who have, have contributed a lot to, to our lives, um, you know, ultimately passing away. Yeah, and I posted a longer, more detailed piece on our website, phillypressboxradio.com. And as I said on there at the end, hopefully we will have fewer losses in 2020. Yes, sir. All right, Chet. Uh, I do not have a parting shot, so let's just wrap it up And because we've reached the top of the hour anyway. So let's thank tonight's special guests, Frank Fitzpatrick and Ashley Greenblatt and Fred Hugo. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 8th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, where you can find our podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, and Spotify. Hi, Hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go Birds! <laughs>